couple of weeks ago at our, uh, at our board meeting, it was very encouraging to see that there was a, a real positive theme, I think, that came out of it. Uh, I think, you know, we all kind of realized that God's church needs to have more people in it. You know, everyone seemed to catch that vision. You know, it was like, in order for the church to survive, it needs to have life. It needs to have fresh enthusiasm, right? It needs to have, like, new blood. It seemed like all of a sudden, all the people just kind of caught it for the first time. You know, afterwards, a lot of us were like bubbling over with ideas on uh, how we can make things better by bringing people in. And it was, it was exciting to see. Now, we had been talking in the past about personal evangelism, and, and this just kind of ties all right into it. Because personal evangelism is, is, a, is a precious gift that the Holy Spirit puts into our hearts. Something that we can share, that God has given us, that we can go out and we can share with others. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit puts into our hearts. It's a high calling. And it's a huge way to be a living part of the body of Christ. It excites us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant to be used not for ourselves personally, for the individual, but for the benefit and for the growth of the collective body. Amen. The gifts of the Holy Spirit to grow the body. So I encourage us all to, to let Him use us in the way that He wants to use us. And when he does so, it's extremely liberating, it's extremely exciting and fulfilling. And that's exactly how the early church saw such explosive growth. Now the purpose of such evangelism is not merely to add people sitting in the seats, that doesn't do any good. But it stems from God's desire to see people saved. He wants that all men should be saved. Amen. We don't hold exclusive rights to this saving message, right? We kind of give it out. We don't hold it all to ourselves. The Holy Spirit puts His love inside of His people. And, it empower, and He empowers us to work in ways that truly even shock ourselves. When you allow the Holy Spirit to work, you end up saying things like, um, you know, I never knew I could do that. Well, wow, that was exciting. Or, hey, let's try that again. We let the Holy Spirit work through us. It's an exciting thing. Oftentimes I've told people how I never ended, thought in a million years that I would end up standing in front of a bunch of people and preaching the Word of God. Yeah, I'm typically a very quiet, behind-the-scenes type of guy. That's just the way I am. But when the Holy Spirit moves, everything changes. The Holy Spirit moves, things change. And that's the way it really should be. One key way that we can reach people is by identifying with them. Realizing that none of the people are really any different than we are at all. The people out there are really not any different than we are at all. In fact, the only thing that's different between you and the person that you're sharing your faith with, with is that they have not yet allowed Christ into their heart. They have not received the forgiveness that Christ has given them. They haven't allowed Christ to forgive their sins. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Titus. In the New Testament, the book of Titus, it's near 1 and 2 Timothy. The book of Titus, chapter 3. Right near 1 and 2 Timothy, right after that. Book of Titus, chapter 3. Number 3. 
is a letter of Paul that Paul wrote to a man named Titus. We're going to look in chapter 3, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's stop there. Paul gives a description here of sinful people. People lost without a Savior. In verse 3, he talks about people that were foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving their diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. People were lost without a Savior. It's an interesting phrase that he used there, being hated and hating, right? Being hated and hating one another. It's the epitome of miserable, right? It's like that old Barney theme song, right? I hate you, you hate me. <laughs> Just everybody hates each other. Uh, everybody hates me and I hate everybody else. It's just the opposite of God, right? It's the opposite of the person and the characteristics of our God that we serve. But Paul says that that once was us. Verse 3, we ourselves were also sometimes. That once was us. He's telling the people there that we're not any better than they are, those that are still in sin. We were one of them. Like the song says, we were blind, but now we see. We were blind. We were like them. Now we are changed. We have allowed the sacrifice of Christ to wash over us, wash us of our sins. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. That's what he's telling them. Remember how evil your deeds were. You were this, foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lust, pleasures, living in malice, hating, and being hated. Remember how evil your deeds were. And that it's only God's mercy that causes us to be saved. Verse 4, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared towards man. Kindness, love, kindness. So the kind of qualities that we're supposed to display. We're supposed to model our God, right? So we're supposed to display kindness. God didn't have to do what he did, but he did. Out of his kindness, out of his mercy, out of his love. Notice here that he's referencing God, and he's also referencing our Savior, or Christ. He's equating the two together. He's affirming the deity of Christ. He's speaking out against Gnosticism here with the divinity of Christ. He's equating God with our Savior. And he says that he first appeared, the mercy of God first appeared. And of course he's talking, to, talking about the incarnation of Christ. When the love of God first came here in the incarnation of Christ and it was spread out to the people. It appeared 
His mercy. In verse 5, it talks about works of righteousness. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. No kidding. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It was not our righteousness, but again, through His mercy. If it had not been for His mercy, where would we be? If it had not been for His mercy, where would we be? Those people in the world out there, you know, the focus of our evangelism that we're talking about, they haven't earned it either. They haven't earned it either. But we didn't either, did we? No. So another quality that we're supposed to emulate from God is mercy. Kindness and mercy. In the Old Testament, Daniel made a similar request in Daniel chapter 9. He says, give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes. And see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Verse 6, it tells us about the Trinity. He shed, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. At the end of verse 5, he was talking about the Holy Ghost. So we see the Holy Ghost, we see the Father, and then we see the Son, our Savior. We see the Trinity being talked about. And he gives it to us abundantly. More than enough. More than enough. And all because of grace. All because of his grace. In verse 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Because of grace. Another quality that we're supposed to model after him is to demonstrate grace. We've been justified, it says here. That's a key concept that we must understand. Being, being justified or declared righteous in the sight of God. We've been justified, made like Him. But we're to remember that that's where we came from. That's where we came from. But we're not there anymore. Identify. Identify with them. Our empathy for others, our desire to see them saved should stem from our realization that we too were just like them. But unfortunately, there's some people who are just satisfied with their own salvation. They don't want to share it. How sad is that? Sadly, they don't see the need or feel the compassion or the desire to share God's kingdom with others. How sad it is to want to hold back and try to hoard the blessings of God. Like I said, we don't have the exclusive rights to this salvation, do we? It's ours to share. That's not the true character of God, right? A person of God. Can people really be like that, you wonder? Well, yeah, they can. And in fact, you know, there's a biblical example of just this type of thinking. Way back when in the Old Testament, the Assyrian nation had been the enemy of Israel and its neighbors for many, many years. They were known for their brutal treatment of captives and their destruction of property. They were a brutal people. They were very difficult. There was no love lost between Assyria and Israel. But God's love knows no borders, does it? His mercy and His salvation are available to all, which is something that we really need to keep in mind as we go out to evangelize. Just like the judgment that Jesus spoke about, uh, if you remember, he warned us not to go about judging people in regard to writing people off. Don't judge them and say, hey, there's no hope for you. I'm just writing you off. There's no hope for you whatsoever. That's not your place. That's not your place. That's the judgment that we're not supposed to do. 
But just as we read before, that sinful group of people was once us. Going back to the Assyrians, God called the man to warn the Assyrians that the judgment of God would hit them if they did not change and repent from their evil and violent ways. But the man didn't want to go. He knew God's character. He didn't want to see God give them another chance. He didn't think they deserved it. Finally, reluctantly, he did do the job that God gave him to do. But not before spending three long days in the stomach of a great fish. Yes, eventually Jonah went and he warned the Assyrians against God's coming wrath. And something miraculous happened. The people repented. People heard the message and they changed. They repented all the way from the king to the guy that took care of the animals. All the people repented. But Jonah wasn't happy about it, was he? Mm -hmm. No. Let's go to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Still flipping around. Okay. By Joel, right after Daniel. Jonah chapter 3. We'll go right to the last verse in that chapter, verse number 10. And God saw their works. This is when the people repented. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them. And he did it not. Keep going. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray you, Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my own country? Therefore I fled to before to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repent you of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech you, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God saw their repentance. He saw the change in them. He saw that they they repented in sackcloth and ashes. They had a a fast and they they repented of their sins. He actually changed his plans. He said, okay, now the judgment's not going to come on you. You're not going to be destroyed. It's going to be okay. How could God do this? Hey, they were a mean, violent people, right? How could God do this? Jonah couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe what happened. How could God give them another chance? We could just imagine how this conversation went, right? Oh, God, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were going to just be so gracious and so nice and just let them go. That's exactly why I tried to run away. Right? What an attitude. Jonah didn't want to see anything but them be punished. That's what he wanted to see. It's the opposite of our evangelistic attitude. In fact, Jonah couldn't even stand to see them in forgiveness. He would rather be dead, right? We read that. Take my life from me. I'd rather be dead. Incredible. Incredible. It's obviously not the right Christian attitude, is it? No. 
quite the opposite, in fact. The Holy Spirit gifts us with abilities to benefit and glorify God. To benefit others and glorify God. Jonah's reaction was very strong. But even in spite of that, God used him and the Ninevites were benefited. How much more could God have done if Jonah had been a willing vessel? Yeah, a willing vessel. Now, I read an interesting article the other day in, on uh, foxnews.com. Maybe some of you saw it. And uh, it was talking about Egyptian mummies, if anybody saw it. And um, they were studying some mummies that they had recovered and so forth. And, and it turns out that the, um, the mummies, they, they always have like this mask on them. You've seen that before. And, and the rich, really rich people, they had masks with jewels and stuff and all that kind of stuff. But the, the more common people, the poorer people, they just made this mask out of anything that they could find. Scraps of paper, you know, leaves, whatever they could find, they made this mask out of. And they were studying these, these, um, these masks. And what they found was um, a mask that was made out of papyri. Okay, which is the old paper that they used to use. And what they discovered on it was an ancient gospel of Mark. How cool is that, right? An ancient gospel of Mark that they think might be the oldest gospel of Mark that they've ever found. Everyone believes that the, um, the gospel of Mark was probably written around 60 AD, 60 and 70 AD, somewhere around there. The oldest copy we have now is somewhere in the early 100s AD. Okay, that's the oldest copy we have now. This one they're dating possibly to 90 AD. Okay, so this could be very, very close to when the original was used. It's just amazing how God does things. We find this so many years later, so many years later, and this gets recovered and we see this piece of evidence of the Gospel of Mark. It's amazing how God does things. So even, you know, even the... This scrap of paper that they thought was useless and they made it into this mask. God used it anyway. Even all these years later, God uses it. Just like God was able to use Jonah. He was able to use Jonah. He didn't care. He didn't want to see the repentance, but he used him anyway. And he did his job. So we see the marks of, of somebody who doesn't have a heart for evangelism. Now let's look at some of the marks of a true Christian. Let's go to uh, the book of Romans. Back to the New Testament. The book of Romans, chapter 12. Everybody knows where that one is, right? Book of Romans, chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. He says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you, bless, and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. 
Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Stop there. Some qualities of a true Christian, some marks of a true Christian. He talks about love, qualities of a true Christian, right? Let not your love uh, be without dissimulation. In other words, don't have insincere love. That's what that means. Don't be insincere. Love must be sincere. Otherwise, it's really not even love, is it? It's just phony. It's phony. We don't want pretense. We want love in action. We want true love. You can't just, just try to bring people into church just for the sake of trying to bring them in, but our motives should be pure. We should have this genuine caring, again, from the Holy Spirit, a desire to see their lives and their eternities changed, their eternities improved. We remember all the times that Jesus spoke against hypocrisy, right? There's no way that Jesus would want to fill the church by means of manipulation and insincerity. We've got to be sincere about it. It's got to be something that the Holy Spirit speaks in our heart. Those are the marks of a true Christian. It says here, cling to that which is good. In this world, many times evil seems good. Good seems evil. God knows the fight that we're in. It's good to hold on to, to cling to the good things. The knowledge and the recognition of good things is well worth clinging on to and holding on to. We know the difference between right and wrong because we have an objective basis for that. God is the standard. He gives us his word. We know what is right. We know what is wrong. In contrast to what Pastor Linda was just talking about before, right? We know what is right. We know what is wrong. God in his holy word. Verse 10 says to be kindly affectioned one to another or be devoted to another in brotherly love. Be devoted. Overly care about. Overly care about someone in excess. Really put an interest in. Think about it. Put an interest in. Pay attention to. Be willing to do things for. And then he says honor others. Honor others even above yourselves. That's something a lot of people have to really wrestle with. How can I honor someone above myself? It can be done through God, through the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have to do. And then that loving heart will come from us. Only the person that's renewed by the Holy Spirit can actually do this. We've got to put ourselves down. Every day I pray about pride. I pray that we put down pride every day. Not to think more highly of myself and my affairs than I ought to. Put it down. We do that by sharing the gospel with those around us. We put down our pride. We put ourselves, our guard down, and we share of ourselves. In verse 11 it says, Be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Another way to say that is to have zeal for the Lord, right? Be zealous for Him. That's that feeling we all had after that meeting a couple of weeks ago. Wanting to do something for the Lord. That excitement. Exuding interest in godly things. We've got to keep that up. We've got to kindle that. Use it. Goes on and tells us to be joyful. Be patient. Be faithful. Our certainty in joy in Christ should bring us joy. Joyfulness is a feeling that goes up and down, right? It comes and it goes. But we can have some constants there. 
If we remember the hope that we have, it'll sustain the joy. But if we have this knowledge that everything will be okay, even in the midst of stress, trouble, and persecution, things will be okay. Amen. Be patient in affliction, it tells us. Be patient when things are going wrong. And you can be if you have confidence or hope that the affliction is not going to remain. You can be patient. Be faithful in prayer. This is what we learned about a few weeks ago. Persistence, right? Be persistent in our prayer. Our fellowship and our communication with God does not cease. It keeps going. It's persistent in good times and in bad. Then in verse 13 it talks about charity, right? Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Share with those who are in need. It's one of the fundamental Christian behaviors. It's a basic foundational principle. Make their needs your needs. Make their needs your needs. Much is said today about the hypocritical church that we live in, right? The poor and hypocritical uh, treatment that Christians do to the world. But if you look at it very closely, the truth is that historically no group has done more charitable humanitarian work than the group of people known as Christians. Us. It's a basic core Christian principle. Care for others. Share, for those, share with those who are in need. Verse 14 says, Bless them who persecute you. Bless and curse not. This is also another basic Christian tenet. And it's one that blows the minds of people who are not Christian. And even blows the mind of a lot of people who are Christian. It's similar to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, where he says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. They didn't get it. How can you do that? Only through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. It's counterintuitive to human nature. But I suppose that's the point, isn't it? It's not human nature, but God's nature. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that do weep. What do we make of this? Are we to be humans with just blank personalities and just sort of mold into everybody else's life? No. What this is saying is another way of just saying, be a good friend. If people are in trouble, you mourn with them, you help them. If people are happy, you're happy with them. You're thinking more about them than you even are of yourself. Our concern for others should make us the best possible people to talk to. They should want to come to us because of how genuine we really are. But sadly, sometimes... We're the last people they want to come to for fear of being condemned or not valued as a person. This is what we constantly need to be aware of and we constantly need to work on. Last week, Pastor Linda talked about pride. A lot about pride. And here it is again. Don't be conceited in and of yourselves. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Your own wants, your own desires, ideas, your own talents, your own skills, your own comforts. Remember we learned about the phrase, take up your cross, that Jesus said. And we learned that it meant to even think of yourself as one who was already dead. In other words, what I want doesn't matter. It's only what God wants is what should matter. 
Then he closes this section with an interesting point in verse 17. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. In other words, do right in the eyes of everyone. In other words, in, in, in order for our witness to be effective, it must also be sincere. Everyone should know that you are the one who can be trusted. Everyone should know that you are the one who can be trusted. Trusted to help in times of need. Trusted to help keep something private when it's something personal. This is a valuable insight that many people struggle with. If they trust you enough to share something personal with you, don't blow that trust by blabbing it to everyone else. Oh, I just wanted to pray about it. Mm-hmm. No, you just wanted to gossip about it. Amen. Ask them if you have to. Is this something that you want me to share? Be trusted to behave in a godly manner. Be trusted. We should always strive to have the gospel viewed in a positive light. They should want to come to us. So if we summarize these three scriptures that we looked at, we see that we've been rescued from eternal death, and we need to remember where we came from. Remember how evil our deeds were, and that our empathy for others, our desire to see them saved, should stem from the realization that we too are just like them. And that it's only by God's mercy that we're saved. And because of grace, He justifies us, makes us right in His standing. We're to model Him, and likewise, we're to demonstrate grace. We saw that sometimes people disagree with God for His compassion, like Jonah. God saw the people's repentance. He didn't didn't destroy them. He changed what was going to happen to them because of their repentance. He changed His plans. He had mercy. He spared them, even though they were very mean, violent, and evil people. Jonah couldn't believe it. How could God give them another chance? Well, that's God's character. He's the God of another chance. The Holy Spirit gifts us with abilities to benefit others, to glorify God. And even though Jonah's reaction was very wrong, God still used him, and the Ninevites benefited. But how much more could God have done had Jonah been a willing vessel, like we are? The marks of a true Christian are love, sincere love, Otherwise, it's not really love at all. Our motives for evangelization should be pure. We're to be devoted to overly care about other people. Really put an interest in them. Think about them. See what it is that they need. Pay attention to them. Honor others above yourselves. And only a person that's renewed with the Holy Spirit can do that. Every day, pray about putting down pride while we have zeal for the Lord, wanting to do something for Him. That excitement, that exude, the, the ex- interest that we have should exude out of us about godly things. Keep that up. Kindle it and use it. Be joyful, be patient, be faithful. Our certainty in Christ should keep that joy within us. Remember the hope that we have, the hope that will sustain us even in the midst of trouble. But be patient in affliction, knowing that it will be over, having confidence in God, and faithful in prayer, persistent, fellowship with Him, communication with God, 
that will not cease, whether in good times or in bad times. Sharing with those who are in need, one of the fundamental Christian behaviors. Being a friend to someone who needs a friend. Our concern for others should make us the best possible people to talk to. We don't want them to feel condemned. We're not valued as a person. That's not the Christianity that we want to portray, is it? We want to exhibit the markings of a true Christian. Faith, hope, and love. All these things being given to us to share with those around us.